Welcome to the Ignite Physio Podcast. This is episode number seven, and I'm your host, Andrew Kopian. This podcast focuses on helping Canadian physiotherapists in their clinical practice and careers. Now, if you haven't heard of Ignite Physio before, it's a free community-driven website for physiotherapists where you can ask and answer practice questions, find useful articles, and access a databank of reviewed clinical resources. In today's episode, I interview Judy Shapea. She's an assistant professor in the PT program at the University of Alberta. We chat about her research and work in shoulder rehab, and specifically a new project that she's been working on to develop new clinical guidelines for non-operative shoulder rehab. So let's jump right in. So today I'd like to welcome uh, Judy Shapea to the podcast. She's an assistant professor in the uh, Department of Physical Therapy in the Faculty of Rehab at uh, U of A, and she has a PhD in rehab science from the U of A. Uh, her research has focused really around upper extremity rehab and specifically the shoulder. And she's part of an interdisciplinary research group known as SURGE, which stands for the Shoulder and Upper Extremity Research Group of Edmonton. I'm really excited to uh, you know, chat with Judy today and to really hear about a study that she's leading around non-operative re- uh, rotator cuff rehab. Um, and uh, But before we get into that, I'd love to uh, chat with Judy about some of the work that she's done previous to that. But welcome to the show, Judy. Well, thanks, Andrew. Happy to be here. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about this uh, study um, that started things off around the rotator cuff uh, rehab. Right. Well, um, I'm, I'm going to just make a really tiny correction because uh, it's interesting that you think it's a rotator cuff population, <laughs> okay. which probably speaks to the fact that that's, um, you know, probably the biggest population that we manage. Uh, but this particular study that we're going to chat about is really looking at uh, a little bit broader than that. So um, rot- we expect that rotator cuff patients will be the biggest population, uh, but we're not... Uh, looking at excluding some of those other ones that we see. Okay, just just to sort of let the groundwork. Um, so I, I'll back up just a touch on kind of where this evolved because um, some of the work that we started with with Surge, and, and in fact one of the big um, impetuses for bringing this group of professionals together uh, that were interested in managing patients with uh, shoulder conditions was uh, to develop operative guidelines. And so, um, you know, many years ago, we started looking at developing consensus documents around how to manage patients who have had uh, link cart repairs um, and rotator cuff repairs. And then recently, we've done some work on trying to come together with decision making on how to best manage patients that have had arthroplasty. And so, one of the questions that kept coming up in our discussions was, you know, Judy, when are we going to start doing one for non-operative uh, management of the shoulder patient? And, and um, you know, as physios will uh, agree, that's a really big population to try and come together with some consensus on how to best manage. And, uh, um, and so that was one of the things that sort of led to discussions around, well, what are we doing with this population and what, what should we be doing? And so... Um, it really was very much born in the rehab world, which is why I'm really excited to be involved in it because within our uh, shoulder and upper extremity group, uh, we've done some really nice work, uh, but we really haven't come at uh, making the decisions based on the rehab part of it as much as we have the surgical. And so some of the questions and problems really came from the three interdisciplinary groups that sit on our um, on our research group the surgeons who for ever 
uh, are challenged with these long wait lists, particularly in the upper extremity. Um, and then even more frustrating for them was uh, finding out that a lot of those referrals were, were frankly inappropriate. And so, you know, and we've all had those patients. Unfortunately, we see them typically as physios at the end of this process. But here, here's the story that we're all familiar with, where a patient has been... Um, their family physician, uh, long-standing shoulder problem usually, and then there's imaging done, which um, may or may not reveal any sort of structural defect, but they get plunked onto an orthopedic surgeon wait list, and then um, sometimes that process takes you know upwards of a year to two years. Then they end up seeing the surgeon who looks at them, has a discussion about what their non-operative management has been. Um, large proportion have not had physio. And so the surgeon then sends them to physio and says, you need three months of physio. Well, if you've ever sat in front of a patient that's gone through that process, that's not a good starting spot. So the patient's generally unhappy, unengaged. And, and uh, you know, frankly, uh, you know, you're starting from a position where you don't have very good buy-in. And so the surgeons are frustrated with this, but that leads into what our frustration is about, you know, where we enter into this whole system of managing these patients. Other questions that really, you know, every time I do a talk or I am just lucky enough to meet with physios, you know, the, the most common question I get is, you know, what are the patients that we need to refer on to a surgeon? So when we have that, if we're talking about cuff as an example, when we have that patient, which are the ones that really the surgeons want to see? You know, what's that checklist um, that we should be looking at? And Further to that, what are the clinical findings that are really, really key? And, you know, amazingly, the research really doesn't give us a lot of help with this. So there's not, there's not you know, this huge body of evidence that says, you know, patients that have this amount of abduction or this degree of weakness uh, really correlate with those patients that are going to have surgery. And I think we all kind of are getting that. Um, and again, that's the problem with sort of looking at a patient on paper or with imaging and suggesting that that's going to dictate their care. And from a physio point of view, we know that. I think that we are one of the best um, people in this, in this care pathway to be able to look at those bigger pieces with the patient around function, uh, what their outcomes and their goals are, and be able to sort of match that. So, so that was part of it. And then, you know, parallel to this was this whole discussion about the non-operative management. So if we are starting to get this body of patients back to us that are, you know, really from the surgeon being mandated for this three month of, uh, of shoulder rehab, what is the best management? And so, you know, we know, we've known for a while that we've used the term active uh, shoulder rehab. And, you know, it's, it's a great move towards the right place. But then what is that, right? And we all talk about active rehab, and I think we have some sense as to what that means. We certainly know what it doesn't mean, uh, and I think we're pretty good at that. But um, so parallel to these questions about, you know, how to best manage these patients and who they need to see was, was when they're in rehab, we need to come together a little bit and have some consensus on what those key pieces need to be. And then I, I mustn't forget the primary care physicians because, you know, again, that's part of the, the trio. And, um, you know, they had very similar questions at the table uh, around, you know, who requires a referral. But we also found that we still are not, um, 
you know, uniformly understood by that um, medical body where, you know, there's still a lot of misconceptions about what the role of physio is with the shoulder patient, the, you know, nondescript shoulder pain, um, you know, frankly, with our healthcare system, sometimes there's a misconce misconception about the cost around that. And, uh, you know, lots of physicians will sort of have their own exercise sheets that they're handing off to patients. And, um, you know, we know how difficult it is to train scapular control. So a sheet of paper is not generally going to do it. So, so they had their concerns as well. So, I mean, th those are big, big questions. Yeah, they are. <laughs> and, wow. And really big problems. But that's sort of where this, is, uh, this has come from. Well, and I'm sure just even in terms of the, you know, the aging baby boomer population, I think that the stress that it places on the healthcare system, yes. you know, is even going to increase over time. And so trying to figure out some of the, the you know, a more, a more ideal care pathway is going to make huge, you know, impacts around, you know, cost of healthcare. And, and I'm sure that uh, that's probably some of the motivation, you know, is, is to get that understood a little bit better, right? Oh, absolutely. And I, and I think, um, you know, we're in very, very initial talks, but there is a a great deal of interest in programs and studies like the one that we're involved in because of the potential impact to that. Um, you know, the cost of healthcare is, is massive, as we know, and, um, you know, having some impact, not only, like, never forgetting the, the functional impact for the patients, but having some impact in lowering wait lists, lowering costs around diagnosis, imaging and those things you know the, the the argument for physio is very easy to make even with that being um, you know in a private model compared to the hundreds and hundreds of dollars that are spent on imaging and surgical considerations so there is a lot of interest in this from a health policy point of view mm -hmm. so can you tell me a little more about the details of the study what uh, what, what does it consist of and where are you at right now in the study yeah yeah well so really, um, you know, the, the study has kind of an interesting title, which I, I have a feeling will change <laughs> as, as we go on, because it's kind of a little cliche, but it, it's actually called the Appropriate and Efficient Management of Shoulder Injuries. And then there's sort of a subheading, uh, which we've used so far, that says, who needs surgery? Um, and so I, I think that's sort of an idea of what our, our, our objective or goal is, but it really, we need to describe that more to who needs surgery, who doesn't need surgery, and what are the, you know, the, the characteristics um, of those uh, different populations, essentially. So, so what we're doing, as you've already mentioned, the word care pathway, that really is what we're trying to determine, is what the best practices for managing the patient with shoulder pathology uh, are. And looking specifically at the proportion of patients that recover with appropriate non-operative management versus those that don't. And um, as I've just mentioned, the patient characteristics associated with successful non-operative management. And so things like uh, patient demographics, the injury variables, work activity variables, you know, and, and another thing is expectations regarding the success of non-operative treatment. And so it came back to my initial story of that grumpy patient, you know, somebody who has gone through the system, has had an MR that's uh, confirmed a partial rotator cuff tear, um, you know, we know that that type of patient 
or we think we know that that type of patient, um, you know, has a very internal bias already. And so their expectation for recovery uh, and their hope for recovery really goes down. So that's, uh, you know, another side thing that we're measuring is is the patient's bias. We're also looking at the time course of recovery. So when we have a patient that's in the study and they're in non-operative management, we have these, um, you know, three points where they can exit. Well, frankly, they can exit at any time, but there we have these three defined uh, points at two, six weeks, um, and 12 weeks where the physical therapist who is managing that patient really has to make um, some decision, very much like we do normally, if that patient is still suitable for, um, for physical therapy or if they need to be taken out of the system and back into a surgical type of intervention. And that's what we're doing is they get then um, in to see a surgeon. So we're kind of measuring that time course of recovery. So, you know, with a patient that presents with a certain type of shoulder uh, pathology, you know, at what point when they're in their non-operative management is, are we seeing that, uh, that mass exodus? You know, the two-week time frame um, was, was very much dictated by surgeons and, and uh, they believed that with some of those patients that are in, you know, kind of the primary care uh, physician or the physical therapy uh, uh, model first, that there was a, a, not a huge proportion, but a very important proportion that at that sort of initial care uh, needs to be expedited. And um, so it was very important from the surgeon's point of view. What I saw as really important for that was that we have all had those patients where we've just in our gut known, this is somebody who requires surgery. And we all know how difficult that is, that you really become, uh, you have to become such a strong advocate and find those surgeons that will see them quickly. And so we're hoping that that uh, leads to sort of uh, this type of uh, system that allows the, the PT to have that conversation and say, look, these are the markers, uh, the clinical markers I'm seeing. I really think this is a patient that needs your consultation. And so the, the, the surgeon's, um, you know, and again, we have seven of the um, upper extremity surgeons that sit on this group that we meet with. They're all advocating that. So can you imagine for the average physio seeing that patient where you just know in your gut you've got to get them out to see a surgeon, yeah. trying to set up a system where everybody recognizes the importance of that. So um, anyway, that's kind of the big things that we're looking at in terms of uh, in terms of the objectives and goals. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And right now, you're in the data collection stage currently, or where where are things at? We're still in enrollment. We have fairly ambitious um, sample um, size that we're hoping for in the two to three hundred. Uh, yeah, when when you're looking at a um, you know a, a population that is broad, like. So it's not just cuff, it's a little bit more sort of that non-descriptive shoulder pathology. We, we really need those extra um, numbers uh, to be able to, to satisfy the statistics. And because we're looking at some of those other secondary variables around demographics and so on, we really would like to have a, a big body of, um, you know, examples to be able to draw those conclusions on. So we are... Still, we're, we're heavily enrolling right now. Uh, we have had some patients that have gone fully through um, so the, the, the non-operative program uh, as far as the, the rehab part is three months. Uh, and so 
we have patients that have gone through that, um, but we have patients at every stage right now, and so we are we are recruiting. And um, you know, it's interesting because when you get into these studies, you you go in with sort of this model of what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, and and then you learn all sorts of other things. <laughs> and so uh, one of the things. Um, that's been really, really cool that we're hoping, um, you know, becomes a very important, you know, legacy of this study is we are lucky enough to have a pool of about four or five uh, physio clinics that are helping with enrollment and also helping with the management of these patients. And so we're building this real nice community of um, therapists that are, you know, really engaged in the um, management of shoulder pathology and, you know, getting really excited about this uh, non-operative kind of standardized program. And so um, it's been wonderful. This is not the easiest study to conduct because we're really very broad in terms of the number of people that are involved and it truly is multidisciplinary because we get our referrals from physio but also from our primary care physicians um, and uh, so it's it's a big study we don't expect to be done anytime soon but um, you know we want to try and do it right. <laughs> yeah. And are you looking for more clinics to come on board then or what? Yeah. You know we're 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 never going to say no to people, but um, one of the things that we really want to make sure is that uh, is that we maintain the peace around its, the the standardized rehab. And you know, another frustration that we all can relate to in physio, if you've um, dabbled in the literature at all, is that you know you see these studies which have a a, a lovely setup in terms of their objectives and. One of their key managements is physical therapy. And then you look at it and you're trying to describe or even, you know, wouldn't that be nice to replicate? And you can't because there's no description. In fact, one of my biggest pet peeves is when the treatment is described as physical therapy. Yeah. I, it's true. It's like, I, what does that mean? Well, you know what I mean? That's our profession. Yeah. It's like saying that the treatment is medicine yeah exactly <laughs> so it's it's completely unhelpful and so you know one of the pieces we really want to maintain and uh the integrity of is that the is that the rehab and the physical therapy in particular that the patients are receiving is standardized and so not to say that you know more isn't better but it's a uh, uh it's sort of a nice group that we have right now that we're able to kind of work with and answer questions and you know really feel good about the uh, the consistency of that yeah it's it's like reading uh you know in studies where they say uh, patient education and you're like yeah. what does that mean like <laughs> what did you actually educate them about <laughs> exactly and you know it it is i mean i think that's the soft part and that's why so much of our literature we get so frustrated because we can't measure effectiveness because we don't know what it is we're measuring. So, you know, this is hopefully, you know, a small little baby step towards that. And I should, um, you know, before I get talking too much about non-operative, it, it's not completely synonymous with physical therapy. So we, we realize that non-operative management includes physical therapy, but also um, the care of a physician. So, you know, whether, whether that's uh, through pharma, pharmacology, whether it's through, um, you know, sometimes that's an injection depending on the pathology. So there are other elements, but really it's that idea of anything that happens with standard care that's outside of surgery. 
That makes sense. Yeah, it's good to include that. So what, uh, given that we just talked about what, you know, the nebulousness of non-operative physical therapy, how are you, uh, how have you defined non-operative care then in this study? And and what are um, other PTs doing around who are part of the study in terms of the non-operative management? Right. So we actually um, developed a non-operative shoulder rehabilitation guideline. And so, um, so I'll speak to that first of all. Um, and this was really challenging, much more challenging than uh, any of the operative, post-operative guidelines. The post-operative guidelines, we were able to, you know, look very, um, very much at the tissue and the physiology and the healing stages and really let that guide us. When it came to non-operative, and I was really quite resistant to go there because, um you know, just from my own clinical experience, the idea of trying to think about, you know, one seemingly path for every patient didn't make sense. And so um, what we ended up doing was really looking at a model around what constitutes uh, normal shoulder girdle mechanics and health, essentially. And so it is vague, but not so vague that you can't sink your teeth into it. So so what I did um, was look into the literature, first of all, to see what's being done. There's really not a ton, uh, again, because, um, you know, most of the literature, if there is any, on how to manage non-operatively, um, well, first of all, most of it's post-operative. The non-operative is very, very uh, pathology-specific. So you can find literature around uh, rotator cuff management, uh, but it's very specific to a certain type of tear, so how the massive tears are dealt with. Um, And then most of it was not in sort of an overall guideline, but it was uh, things like, uh, for example, eccentric types of exercise with tendinopathies and things like that. So we we looked at that, didn't help us too much. So then we really went back to this idea of what a normal model was. And then we also used the post-operative guidelines as a bit of a platform because with developing, you know, more than one guideline, we wanted them to look somewhat similar. So if you, if, you know, when you see these, once we feel that we're, um, we're on the right track, they look similar in the phase setup. So we have the the three phases, which would correlate to, you know, when a patient enters uh, into our care. We've looked at the big picture items. So anybody, if you ask somebody what active shoulder rehab is, I think that probably first thing that we would now get, which is fantastic, is scapular rehab. So there's a huge part of the program that that really has us uh, monitoring um, identifying those key things that need to be um, addressed. They'll not be the same in every patient. But instead of trying to do the same thing for every patient, working towards the same goal with every patient in terms of what that scapular humeral rhythm needs to look like. Um, the cuff was also a big part of all of the non-operative uh, guidelines because we just we just understand so well now that in order to have a good shoulder, you have to have a, an optimal cuff and what that means. Um, we also, you know, looked at mobility, but in a very broad sense and realizing that, you know, therapists are very good at this. You know, the therapist that comes from a very manual therapy type of background, you know, said to us, look, I work on the thoracic and cervical spine of every shoulder patient 
I have, and we went, that is terrific, and made sure that that was part of that piece of looking at the whole kinetic chain and addressing the whole kinetic chain. So, um, you know, those are the big pieces that we you'll see reflected in this guideline. We've not asked any therapist who's um, who's using it to really deviate from their standard care, but just to make sure that they are looking at that active uh, rehab component, that this is very much a program that should have a heavy exercise, um, you know, re neuromuscular retraining program, um, and it should be looked at as more than just the shoulder, but certainly the shoulder girdle and very likely more the kinetic chain around the trunk. Oh, that's good. So, uh, you know, bringing it back to uh, sort of clinical relevance and clinical application, I mean, what, what are some of the things that, um, you know, you feel would be important takeaways just in terms of whether it's been the post-op uh, guideline work that you've done or just even in terms of this current study, um, you know, that you would say, you know, that you would want to have clinicians know about. Right, yeah, and, you know, and I realize talking about a study that's underway that doesn't have results, um, you know, only gives you so much, but I, I was thinking about that, Andrew, and I, I think when I, when I reflect on kind of what I've done, and still, you know, as somebody who sees patients, how that's changed my view a little bit. Um, there, there's a few big pieces that I've taken away. And probably one of the biggest things um, is to try, just like we are with this study, to try and think a little bit about what that, you know, your population of shoulder patients which are those patients that you think, you know, this is a patient that has done really well um, with, with physical therapy, okay? And, and actually trying to, you know, in your own practice or perhaps your own clinic, um, to think about what those key clinical findings or, you know, patient characteristics are and have that discussion. I think that that needs to start within our own centers um, and have, and probably more importantly, have those, you know, bailout uh, points where you think, you know, boy, when you see somebody like this, in my experience, that's the patient that really is kind of a ticking bomb. They're not going to do well with us. And I think it's our job, those of us that have been doing this for a while, to really help mentor that to our younger colleagues. I think the other big message that I've, that I've got, not only from my experience, but also from working with surgeons and so on, is to remember that almost all patients with shoulder complaints benefit from physical therapy, that we really need to um, remember that this is our demographic, that when we're talking about the patient that comes in with, especially with this nondescript shoulder problem, it's a really small proportion that really requires surgery, okay? And, um, you know, as we see, uh, you know, more and more surgeons are being very selective with uh, who they decide to do those surgeries on. If we talk about the cuff as an example, there's more and more studies that are showing us now these long-term outcomes, 10, 15 years, that are really, really showing good evidence that a non-operative approach with these patients with the partial tears in particular, they do as well as the patient that's had surgery. And so uh, that information really needs to come to us so that we're not having that discussion where, um, you know, patient comes in and perhaps they've already been told they have a partial tear and we as therapists aren't saying, oh, well, that's surgical. We, we really need 
to change that mindset because, um, you know, that type of patient, unless they're in some sort of, you know, occupation or situation that, you know, really, really dictates that their demand on their shoulder is going to be extremely high, most of those patients, the surgeons want nothing to do with. That's been really loud and clear to us. So, uh, that's been a big change for me is realizing that those partial tears were not to be scared of, were to jump in. And, and surgeons would also tell us that when they have that patient that's in front of them that even has a small full thickness tear, that they categorize that into the grouping of the partial thickness tears. And so a lot of those, they're not, yeah, they're not looking at those as well. And at the very least, they want those patients to have a trial of three months good shoulder active rehab. And so these are patients that we need to see, okay, and see well. Um, other takeaways other than just this idea about active PT, which I think, uh, I think we're there. I, I'm very confident that, you know, we're, we're no longer doing passive shoulder management and um, you know really what that entails I think other pieces that we've learned relative to the shoulder is that a real global approach is um, is important so looking again at the kinetic chain making sure you know beyond the spine that we have uh, you know a look at sometimes what's happening more around the core and even in some populations into the lower extremities um, and I, I think you know some of the efficacy stuff we really need to move towards, which, you know, this study will touch on a little bit, but, um, you know, we need to, we need to be a little bit more confident in our effectiveness with these patients and, you know, uh, not be, um, I guess, affected by some of the comments around uh, PT is too expensive, uh, you know, you're going to end up having surgery anyway. I, I don't think we should be part of that discussion with patients. I think that, you know, we should always be honest. We, we can't see 100%, but we really need to start speaking to the literature and to what you're seeing clinically and, um, and really educate patients on our role. Um, so I, I think that it, if nothing else, the big piece you need to take away is uh, shoulder pathology is shoulder rehab. So th these are patients that we need to feel very confident managing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think you know what you touched on earlier in uh, in terms of uh, um, you know the language and the education piece uh, with patients. I think is so important because I just know in my own practice where you know as you mentioned, you know, a patient will get that MR result and they'll say, well, yeah, no, I have a par partial thickness tear. And they, they're convinced that they, they need surgery and they actually stop using their shoulder and they, you know, they, they start pulling back from activity. And I think that, you know, I've just seen how, how important that is in terms of really having that conversation and often repeated conversations to help to not make it a death sentence in terms of their shoulder. And I think that that's, um, I think that as physios, I think we, we play a, you know, a huge role in that. And I, yeah, it's, it's amazing just how powerful our language is around, uh, the shoulder pathology and how that can have such an impact on people's perspective and thinking on that. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, I'm always reminded, um, when I teach students or when just have those conversations with colleagues is that word tear that's really frightening. And so, you know, if you, if you were to, you know, to kind of challenge yourself on what that definition actually means, I think that, 
you know, if we're honest with ourselves, some of us don't always understand what, what exactly is a partial tear. What does that look like in that whole complex of the four tenderness attachments? Um, you know, how is a partial tear defined? And so is that one cuff uh, or one part of the cuff, one part of the muscle system that's affected? Uh, what are the differences in that? And so if we're still clear on that classification, uh, you can only imagine what a layperson thinks. They have this idea of their shoulder, you know, any second going to fall apart. So I really think it's, a, you know, that, that whole definition and the, the nomenclature around a rotator cuff tear is disastrous for most patients. It should have been called something different. Yeah. <laughs> we can still change that. But I think it's, but I think that even the MR, you know, reports will, you know, include other really scary sounding language, like, you know, bicepital cleft tears and, you know, all these things that people have no idea what that means in terms of impact on function. And, um, yeah, and I think that that's, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm glad that you brought that up because I think that that's something that I've come across that has been really, uh, um, just eye-opening in terms of the power. And and one more thing on that because it, it just ties so well into that is, you know, when you're having that conversation with your with your patient is um, to remember that, that this is not anything that's arguable. This has absolutely been proven time and time again is that the degenerative process in our shoulder preferentially affects the rotator cuff. And so you know, whereas a knee will wear out with the articular tissue in the shoulder, it's the cuff that's affected. And so there are, you know, studies that will suggest upwards of 50% of patients walk around after the age of 60 with an asymptomatic rotator cuff tear. And so it's just part of the aging process. And so those MRs, you know, we've talked about this a lot with our back, um, you know, pathologies and the MRs with the back not correlating with function. Well, it's very similar in the shoulder that, you know, you can, you can MR 10 people and uh, only two of those are symptomatic and all 10 of them over the age of 65 will have cuff changes. And that's been probably one of the most powerful pieces of information I, in my experience, to give patients is to, to have them appreciate that that's part of normal wear and tear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's really good because it's it's something that we can we're used to that nomenclature and it doesn't scare us in terms of when we see that. But I think it's we have to put ourselves in our patient's shoes and recognize that they, that may be the first time that they've heard of that uh, you know that diagnosis or that term. And you know, often it's not given with any kind of explanation, um, you know, from other healthcare providers as well, right? So it's, I think that that's something that we can never uh, undervalue in terms of our. Our, our treatment program but uh, yes i agree 100 percent. well judy it's been uh, fantastic having you on the uh, podcast today and uh great chatting with you about all the work you're doing and the work that you have done so i definitely hope to have you back at some point here to chat more about the yes shoulder, so. well well hopefully with some good results yes that'll, that'll be part two yeah part two exactly <laughs> all right thanks so much okay thanks andrew okay, bye-bye Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Judy. To find the show notes for this episode, just head over to the Ignite Physio website at ignitephysio.ca forward slash blog. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe to our show on iTunes, and I'd love for you to leave a review if you've enjoyed our episodes. If you have any questions, topic ideas, or would be interested in being a part of the show, let me know by dropping me a line at hello at ignitephysio.ca. Take care.